Inherently Happy, Episode 7. I don't have a title for it yet, but I will. We're going to try some here, kids. I've been talking about emotions for a few episodes, but I want to get back to the search for divinity. But it's emotional work, and I needed you prepped. Your behavior modified, your minds rinsed. And now we're going to stretch them. I wrote this down, and this too, in an old composition book I had. I have a lot. But this one I hadn't written in since 1997, 20 years ago. The name on the front said Conspire. And it contained a few pages of a script, just long enough to qualify as a short film or a short episode of something ongoing. Let me read it to you now, but try not to listen to the words. Instead, see, hear, and feel it. 1997, January 7th, I wrote this. (laughs) Fade in. Interior mental patient wing. State hospital. Sarah, a woman in her 40s, with long, light brown hair, which can only be termed dirty, even when washed. It's pulled back in a ponytail. Her eyes are hidden beneath the tautness. She sits by a window reading a book that is not there. That is to say, turning pages, moving her eyes, and holding it to the light, although there is no such book. The window is open and a bird flies in and lands on the sill. Sarah says, Oh, hello, Roger. What's new today? You don't say. Well, of course, right away. Merci, Roger. The bird flies away. Sarah folds over one page of the book invisible and places it in the wall as if it were a bookshelf. She stands up abruptly. Oh, nurse, I'm ready to leave now. Cut to interior Dr. War's office. W-A-H-R. It is painfully well-kempt, as if this were the display model of an office and not the real thing. Dr. War is equally ordered and sits quite erect in his chair. He's in his late 50s, but looks frozen at 55 with strong but smooth skin and black and white hair cut short but smooth and easy to comb. Dr. War says, So, Sarah, are you going to answer me? I don't see how it matters, doctor, she replies. Why it matters, my dear girl, is the whole point of your being here. We want you to be well again. Sarah says, I know. I read the brochure. Dr. War, So, Sarah, please tell me if you still believe that all the world's a stage... Sarah, I don't remember being quite so poetic about it, Dr. War, but you do think that we are all merely characters in a grand performance already in progress. Sarah, I've been meaning to ask you, Doctor, did you switch your major midstream 
Sarah, please. Sarah says, because you could have had quite a future in psychology if you'd just stuck with it. Miss blank, I didn't have a last name for her yet. I'm simply trying to ascertain. Sarah translates for him. Find out whether or not, if, the patient that sits before me, I'm, is in further need of the medical treatment and psychiatric counseling that this facility pre provides. Sane. I know that, Doc, but that doesn't change the fact that I love you and I want to marry you. Sarah, please. This is serious. Well, I think it's funny. You haven't so much as smiled in 30 years, and yet you constantly see, hear, and say the silliest things on the planet day in and day out. Sarah, really? You've only been here for 12 years. Yes, but your face betrays you, doctor, or rather keeps your secret, whichever you prefer. And what secret would that be, Sarah? That you're scared of humor, doctor. Don't make me laugh. See? Hopeless! For one thing, I work here. For two things, I live alone. Not much chance of hilarity in either case. Sarah says, ditto for me. Well, vice versa. And yet I find humor in every little thing. It's healthy to laugh. Very true. But too much of a good thing... I made old man Hubbard laugh yesterday when I told him how his wife was doing. He's not married. I know. That's why it was funny. You didn't mention the dog, I hope. Sarah says, what's old mother Hubbard without the dog? And he laughed, you say, like a doped up donkey. So now you're a psychiatrist? I'm not saying I cured him. He still hates dogs. I just think now a little less. Face your fears, doctor. Why did you come here? Dr. War says. To tell you what I'm to tell you that I'm ready to leave. I meant why did you commit yourself for treatment all those years ago? Because I was trying to stay out of their way. The stage hands of God? he asks. Oh, he checks his notes. The stagehands of God. That's your term, Mr. Poet. I just call them techies. So what's changed, he asks. They've agreed, finally. To what? Your own dressing room? A percentage of the box office? No. And it's not a play. It's a movie. How modern. What have they agreed to? To letting me improvise, of course. And that's what I wrote. And then I wrote a little aside afterwards. I drew a line down the middle of the page. And I only wrote on the right side of it. Because it's an aside. You get me. That way when I'm looking back over it at a glance. I can say, oh, that must be an aside. And I put the word aside at the top. Because I know it's going to take 20 years. So I'll get back to some of these. We discover that Sarah took acid, investigated hypnosis, meditation, yoga, 
tried her hand at astral projection. She has immersed herself in fantasy living ever since she first started playing house when her parents began their perennial separation without divorce. And then, let's see, I want to get to the next part here. Yes, here we go. I wrote an aside later on saying, you have to promise that if I tell you what I know about the secret of life, you won't try to verify it. You won't peek. Of course, he? Who's he? Me? Of course, she? Well, let's keep going with she. Of course, does that say she? She finds out and is banished from humanity. All other people were kept from him. Wait, who's the him? No cars on the street, all parked around corners. Oh, yeah, now I remember. There was another story that was similar to this that I was writing called um, Continuity, where, you know, you see a guy at the breakfast table and he has a glass of orange juice and he's reading the paper and the camera's like a little below him looking up past the orange juice and and up to him in his newspaper. And, you know, he drinks some of the orange juice and it's like a tall glass. He drinks some of the orange juice and then he puts it down and he's like, and he drinks, you know, and then we see him a minute later or whatever. And now it's only like a third of the glass is full. And, and then we cut to like a side view or we see the cartoon that he's reading. And then he, he, you know, he, now there's only a little bit left of orange juice and he like downs it, you know? However, when he tries downing it, he was under the impression that it was only like now like a fifth or a sixth of a glass and that he could just toss toss it back. But for some reason, it's friggin' full again because that would be a continuity error. But you, as an audience member, might notice a continuity error. But the actor doesn't notice a continuity error because the first part of that scene was shot on Tuesday and the second part of that scene was shot on Wednesday and then later on they went back on like, Two, two, two weeks later, two months later, to shoot like a little bit in between. And so the orange juice glasses, you know, that's why it's hard to do with food and stuff like that and keep continuity. Or when you write on a chalkboard and then you write, and then it looks like you've already written it and erased it, and now you've written it and erased it again. You're like, why is it, what? You know, like when there's a, a car chase scene and stuff like that, and they drive over skid marks right about where they're skidding right now. So you're like, huh. You know, so continuity errors because they have to do it more than one time in the movies. And in real life, the things just happen the one time. So I was going to have this whole story where the guy is like, he, he starts realizing that he's in a movie. And he starts looking for like camera crews and techies and all that sort of thing. And then at the then he pretends like he doesn't know anymore. And at the very end, you know, he gets into some horrible accident and he's in the hospital. And then the camera gets close to his face because like if he's dying right now, we want to see it. And then he opens his eyes and he's like... You know, he he looks right into the camera. He's like, I got you. He doesn't have to say that. But yeah, so so when when so this this is probably and 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 I thought of that one like in the early '90s. So this must have been an extension of that. And and then so that's why I think I was mixing. His name was Phil Mazart because I like to have a reason for the names that I choose and film as. Art seemed like a good name. So Phil, Mazart. Yes, I'm very clever. 
I'm very clever. I pride myself in that. I, I spend a lot of time alone. I have to amuse myself. So that's why you have to promise me that if I tell you what I know about the secret of life, that it's a movie, you won't try to verify it. You won't try to pick. So peek. You, so someone was telling him this, and he's like, hmm. But you can't just tell somebody that and then have them not look. So obviously it was his own mind telling him that or something. So of course, he finds out and is banished. Like he finds out and he like, they know that he's looking. You know? And now they're like, oh crap. You're not supposed to know this. You know? And so... They have to make it seem like he's crazy. Like, no, no, you're not in a movie. I mean, you are, but you're not. You're not, you know? So, sometimes there's, like, there's supposed to be cars in the street. That's just how movies are made. You see cars from the period that you're shooting, you know? But what if all the cars disappeared? All the people disappeared? Everybody was gone. You'd be like, what the hell? An empty set. That's weird, you know? It's like a ghost world. No power. Nothing moves. You can't get anything to move. Cars don't start. Lights don't turn on. Because all the unions have gone away. All the crew has gone away. All the power, all the budget has gone away. The sets were already built, so they're just going to stand. But maybe they don't even have a back to them. Who knows? Banished like Orpheus from a chance for being happy. You know? Knowing should be enough, but it never is. Never is. And then I kind of broke out a little outline. Act 1, the discovery. Act 2, the readjustment. At some point, there's a snap. The mind breaks. Then the recovery. And the ending being in the hospital, you know, like Sarah. And the doctor comes in and, like, I'm free. Because now I know and I have proof, you know. And then another side is, you know how stores often have an open sign on a string... And they just flip it over when they're closed. Well, when you're on the inside and you can see the closed sign facing you, then then the addled brain might presume that that's indicating that the world outside is no longer in service. And that can be like the mind. You know, you look up into the sky at night, you can see all the way to the stars. That's like your subconscious mind when you're dreaming. But during the day when the sun is out, your consciousness, all you see is the scattershot of particles in the air and it looks like pale blue. And you can't see the whole universe anymore. You're just focused on the day-to-day. This, you know, keep on going. The sun just winked at me. Yeah, imagine that. The sun winked at you. Like it's a big eye or like it has a face. Maybe the sun is happy space. He's winking at you. Raising his eyebrow at you. Sarah used to spend her days looking behind wardrobes and down foot-wide alleys to see if she could catch a glimpse of the techie's handiwork. Maybe the back of that building isn't finished because no one will see it. Maybe trees don't make sounds in forests when they fall independent of human witnesses because they don't fall without human witnesses. And then... February 9th, 1997, at 12.30 a.m., I wrote, I know they're trying to tell me something. Do you know what 37 means? Neither do I, but they do. And they want me to know. Example. John Travolta's character in the movie Phenomenon, which is hallucinatory, miraculous, what have you, Comets and powers and things like that. 
His character in Phenomenon is 37. Paul Newman's character in Cool Hand Luke. He seems to know something the rest of us don't. He wears the inmate number of, you guessed it, 37. In the movie Shawshank Redemption, the first two numbers of Tim Robbins' character's inmate identification code are 3 and 7. Morgan Freeman's character's jail cell number is 237. The amount of money Tim Robbins amasses for his crooked warden is $370,000. What's it mean? I intend to find out. He, this could be Phil, could be Jim, the character from the upcoming Happy Novels. There's five of them. He commits himself to the mental hospital and spends his time reading, doing their drugs, studying psychiatric basics, studying everything for a clue. He canvasses the other patients to see if they know about them. He tries to figure out what he must say to get their confidence so they'll trust him and divulge. Everyone and everything may be in on the plot. So talk to no one. And talk to everyone. But sometimes he wants to get caught. He wants to talk openly about they, about their activities. But he dare not, lest he incur their wrath. Besides, kids can be cruel. And now we return to our podcast. I mean, this is all our podcast. You're in the podcast, even though we had an aside from the podcast. Let that sink into your noggin and rattle around on your noodle for a bit. I've tried astral projection. No luck. Remote viewing. Nope. Lucid dreaming. Now that actually worked. Once. It was amazing. I practiced doing a reality check at frequent intervals. Looking at my hand and asking... Am I awake? And once I'd agreed that I was, I went back to whatever it is I was doing. But when I first did the check, the reality check, in a dream, my hand changed color slightly. Just got a little lighter, really, but in a thin, rippling wave. And then went back to normal. I was dreaming. And lucid. I was aware I was dreaming while I was still dreaming. I tried to decide what I should do. Teleport, fly, watch a movie by looking through the walls of the theater. But then there was a knock on my bedroom door and I answered it. Still in my dream, mind you. And it was a girl I hadn't seen since grade school. We got to talking and I completely forgot I was in a dream. It takes discipline. To retrain your mind. But if you entertain a notion, just entertain it, then maybe it'll linger as long as you do so. So try a bit of madness and see where that takes you. You'll probably hear me turning pages quite frequently because I only write about 30 words on a page. I don't use every line, I use every other line, and I only do about two or three words per line. Because when you're writing really fast, you write big, you write a little sloppy, and you write a lot, uh, but not a per page. Imagine this. Happy is you. In the same way, a photograph or your autobiography is you. 
It's not your arm. But if your arm gets cut off, then your arm's not you either. You're the one thinking of yourself right now and wondering if madness is actually catching. Can I give it to you? If happy is mad, if I am, I'm saying, would say the madman, no longer knowing the difference. I'll just say I'm happy. The way I'm the human condition, or the will to live, or the universe, in part. I'm happy because I know madness cannot touch me, which allows me to entertain mad notions. Things you can't just blurt out to people at parties, but have to build up to gradually. First, get them intrigued with amusingly bold statements and lots of emo talk. Then you get to the real stuff. Happy is the psychic walkie-talkie to all universal thought. Happy is the light by which the Big Bang was sparked by. Happy is the universal will. If I told you that you could tap into the universal will, then you would scoff and deride me. I'm a scammer, you'd say. A charlatan, if you talk like that. Maybe you'd use choicer language, but the sentiment would be the same. Incredulity. You can't believe your fucking ears. I'm talking about collective subconscious or universal conscience or some shit. But no, I'm not. I'm most decidedly not. What I am doing is testing you. Stretching you. Believe in happy. Not because he's real. He's no more real than Charlie Brown or Sherlock Holmes. But because by believing in happy, you will find yourself smiling more. You will begin to feel like, you've, like you're finally in on the joke. That at our core, we already are and have always been happy. Imagine that. Ha ha.